Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue in our study of Luke, Christ and His Disciples. The name of the sermon is called, Why God's Future Matters for My Presence. And Pastor David will be preaching from Luke 17, 20 through 18, 8. Let's join Pastor David now. What's, what's happening in the future um, certainly does impact our present. Uh, that's certainly a spiritual reality, and we're going to dive into that soon, but that's also just an everyday life reality. Have you noticed that? Our future impacts our present. What's happening later on in a day is going to impact how you get ready in the morning. Your future impacts your present. What's happening on the weekend uh, affects how you live through your week. Your future impacts your present. What's going to happen maybe this summer impacts how you shape or plan or budget the semester. What happens in a decade from now, two decades from now, shapes and impacts your present. We think about the future. Uh, Parents and grandparents, you're thinking about the future of your children before they can even comprehend the categories of life that awaits them. How much more, if that is true in those ways, how much more is that true, eternally speaking? The future, the final, final end, his second coming, eternity, forever. In comparison, I know we know this, but it's helpful to hear it over and over again. In comparison, what is our life? In light of eternity, eternity, forever and ever, unending, what is our life? Certainly, his ending impacts how we live every single day. See how useful, how helpful, how formative his coming kingdom is for us now. How does it impact it? Well, Jesus, uh, in this passage today, is going to begin by reminding us, encouraging us, showing us, uh, exhorting us to not miss the king. Don't miss the king of this kingdom. Uh, Meet me in the gospel of Luke, chapter 17. We're going to be starting at verse uh, 20. We're taking a big gulp of scripture today. Uh, Luke 17, verse 20, all the way to the end uh, of verse 8 of chapter 18. Listen to what Jesus says, Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees, when, 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 when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. You can't see it. It's invisible. It's not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. One of the reminders that when we think about the kingdom of God is that it is both now and not yet. And some of you might think, well, that's very helpful and very not helpful at the same time. What is it? (laughs) It's both. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. And you'll find yourself in conversations when, when, when the pendulum is swinging to the one side, it's now, it's now, it's now, it's now, it's now. There's a helpful reminder, but it's also not yet. And vice versa. When conversation starts to pendulum swing toward it's not yet, it's not yet, it's not yet. There's a helpful reminder, but it's also now. 
And in these opening a couple verses, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and they're asking him, when, when, when is the kingdom coming? And Jesus is saying, in a way, it's now. It's now, and not yet, yes, but he's emphasizing it's now. It's in the midst of you. And one of the reasons that that's so insightful for us is we're going through the Gospel of Luke, because as we've marched through this book from beginning, and we are going to get to the end, there is hope. <laughs> there are other books in the Bible other than Luke. We'll get there. Uh, but as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, we start to look back and realize all that Jesus is accomplishing, every deliverance, every healing, every demon cast out, every sinner forgiven, every outcast brought in by God's grace in Christ, every glimpse of God's redeeming, delivering, healing, uh, reconciling, atoning work, do you realize what all of that is? It's a peak of the future kingdom bursting into our present. That in, in the miracles that Jesus does, do you notice, have you thought of it this way? That's not the exception to our rule. That's a peek into the final reality of eternity. Every healing, every moment where, where um, good triumphs over evil, when, when Jesus triumphs over the forces of darkness, every time someone seeks repentance and uh, seeks grace in repentance and receives forgiveness, and Jesus forgives them and reconciles them, do you know what we're seeing? We're seeing the future peek into the present. We're seeing his kingdom, glimpses of it, not the fullness of it, glimpses of it, pockets of it. It's like we're peeking through the keyhole. Just the first taste, the foretaste of more that is to come. And Jesus is saying through that, the kingdom is now. Listen to what he says. And don't miss the irony of what he says. Verse 21. Uh, Behold, the second half of verse 21, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, capture the irony of this moment. The Pharisees are asking, when? When is the kingdom of God going to come? And they don't realize that they're staring in the face of the king. The, king. the kingdom is in the midst of you because Christ is in the midst of you. The king is present. He is here. He has come. He has come in his first coming. He will come again in his second coming. So don't miss the king. <laughs> don't miss the king. The Pharisees and, and others were expecting a different kind of kingdom. They were expecting a kind of kingdom with, with, with uh, war horse and sword, tank and airstrikes, of, of overthrow of governments, uh, flags being taken down, new flags being raised up. They were anticipating a king who, remember, the Jewish people were under Roman oppression. They are anticipating a king who would come in his first coming in triumph to overthrow the evil Roman oppressors and to establish the fullness of his earthly kingdom fully and completely now. And do you see, that's why Jesus says that my kingdom is not coming in observable ways. It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. Grace pervades through the hearts of people. And as grace and the gospel pervades through the hearts of people, we start to see evidence, implications, uh, 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 domino effects of the kingdom of God now in his first coming. It's not fully here yet. But what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees as they're asking him, when is it coming? And as he's looking them right in the face, Jesus is saying to us, don't miss the king. Don't miss the king of this kingdom. He's come He's standing amidst 
his people then and there. He's looking into the eyes of the Pharisees, and by his spirit, he is still present with his people. Don't miss the king. That's the first thing we see from this passage. Second thing we see from this passage, answering this broad question, what, what, what benefit does the um, coming kingdom of Christ have for us now? How does this future kingdom shape our now? Number one, don't miss the king. Number two, don't miss your calling. Don't miss your calling, your mission, your task, uh, the purpose for which God has given to the life of his people. Do not miss your calling. Verse 22. Now he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, if referring to the kingdom, here it is, or look here. Jesus is saying to his disciples, do not go out and follow them. Now in the first two verses, Jesus was saying, the kingdom is now and not yet. Now he's saying to his disciples, the kingdom is now and not yet. <laughs> he's emphasizing now to his disciples, there will come a time in your life, disciples, that you are going to want so badly to see God's kingdom fully and finally and completely ushered in now. Have you been there? And you're going to want to see it more in proportion to the hardship that you're going to go through in this life. When life is hard or difficult or challenging, we yearn and long for the second coming of his kingdom all the more because we know the ending, do we not, dear brothers and sisters in Christ? New heavens, new earth, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more sadness, no more bad news, no more breakdown of family or society or of physical bodies. We long for that day, and the more hardship you go through, the, the more your heart is going to yearn and long for his second coming to fully and finally and completely be here now. The hardship stirs our hearts doubly so. And Jesus says to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the sons of man. We've been there. You've been there. Sometimes in hardship, we think, Lord, can you just come back today? <laughs> Around finals week, every student says, Lord, can you just come back before finals? <laughs> Maybe you've got a really hard meeting coming up. Lord, can you just come back before the meeting? Maybe you've got a difficult season coming up. Lord, can you just come back now? Maybe you're wearied and broken down by the grind of life, kind of everything, financial stress, work, home, life. Lord, can you just, can, I'm ready. <laughs> can you just come back now? And that longing is going to make false sightings very seductive. It's going to make false sightings of, look, here it is. He's finally come again. It's going to make that very tempting and a part of what Jesus is warning his disciples then, and it's still helpful for us now, we've got to be very careful. Be very careful. Now stick with me. I'm going to thread a needle here. We've got to be very careful not to get stuck or not to burn um, unnecessary energy overlaying future calendars against current, event, current events that we miss our mission. Stay with me. But doesn't the Bible say a lot about our future? Sure it does. Is it wrong to, to, to read through Daniel and Revelation and try to understand it? No, it's not wrong at all. 
But what Jesus is saying is that between now and then, he's given us a mission. And there is a possibility, there is a danger to get overly concerned. And we can, we can squint so hard at the future, so hard at the future calendars, and trying to overlap them and align them with current events that, my friends, we can burn a lot of energy on that and miss the mission he's given to us now. Is it wrong to be curious about the future? No. But my friends, don't miss the mission because of it. Don't miss what God has called you to now. He's going to take care of his second coming. Between now and then, may he find us faithful to the mission that he's placed in our every single day lives. Don't miss the king. He's staring right in front of us. Don't miss your mission. It's staring right in front of you. The spheres that God has placed you in, how is he calling you to be faithful now, today, this week, this month? That's what he's saying. You will desire very much so to see one of the days of the sons of man. And people are going to say, look, there it is. Look, here it is. Jesus is saying, don't follow down that path. Because when he comes again, now check this out. How is this for helpful and confusing? Verse 24. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, verse 24. Didn't Jesus just say the kingdom can't be observed? Verse 20. Now, in verse 24, it's going to be like lightning flashing across the sky. I'm confused. <laughs> His kingdom pervades like a mustard seed, like leaven. Grace in the gospel, in the hearts of people, rippling out throughout communities and society and people. His kingdom is now, and it's not yet. What Jesus is saying in this image of lightning is that when he comes again, his second coming, the culmination of all things, you will not be able to foresee it. You will not be able to foresee it, and you will not be able to miss it. It will be evident. It will be clear. Like lightning flashes across the sky that cannot be missed. That's how clear it's going to be, and yet you won't be able to foresee it. I don't know, Pastor. I've seen a lot of strange stuff. I've been looking on the news. I've been looking in God's Word. I think it, you, you might be right. It might be today, and it might not. You will not be able to foresee it. You won't. Only God the Father knows. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I've, I think I got a good handle. Only God the Father knows. You will not be able to foresee it, and my friends, you will not be able to miss it. He is coming again, and it will be as clear as day. And Jesus says his mission is that before that happens, he says, but first, Jesus says, verse 25, uh, he must first suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is talking about the culmination of his mission, and the mission of Christ is not so different than the mission of his disciples. Now, you and I don't atone for the sins of the world. That's on Jesus' shoulders. Praise God for that. But you and I partner in his mission now is his hands and his feet. And if the mission of Christ is one where suffering precedes glory, death precedes life, burial precedes resurrection, humiliation precedes exaltation, is it so far of a stretch, is it so much of a difference as disciples for us, for our mission, to follow that same pattern? How do you be first in God's kingdom? You've got to be last. How do you become great? Serve. How do you live? Die to yourself daily. How do you love others? 
by dying to yourself to serve and care for others. Do you see the pattern? It's the same pattern that Jesus took. Death to self, and then life. Humility, then exaltation. That those who are, uh, seek to be first are last, and the opposite is true in the kingdom of God. Those who are last are first. And if that is the mission of Christ, that's also the mission that he calls us to, to join him on. Don't miss the mission. Because I want him to return just as much as anyone else in this room. Amen? <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait for him to come back and all that is broken, all that is wrong, all that is decaying to be done. I long for that day. And we are even called to pray for that day. That's not a wrong thing. And between now and then, my friends, be faithful to the mission. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Don't miss the king, number one. If his kingdom is coming again, what are those implications? Don't miss the king. He's in our midst. Number two, don't miss your mission. <laughs> He's called us to join him in it. Instead of those things, missing the king and missing the mission, rather, number three, number three, hope in the right thing. Find hope. Take hope. Hold on to hope. Let hope hold on to you. But hope in the right thing, in the right Savior, the right King, the right Lord, the right God. Look at verses 26 and following. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away, and likewise let the one in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, referring to the uh, moment in Genesis when she turned back? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. Uh, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Hope in the right thing. And what Jesus is saying by, he, he's drawing on these two Old Testament examples, both uh, Noah, Noah and the ark. The rain came down, the floods came up. He's also referring to the moment in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. These are two moments, iconic moments, memorable moments in the Old Testament where the fullness of God's holiness and justice met and encountered a broken and sinful humanity. Why is Jesus referring to these two accounts? What's he illustrating? What's he showing? In a way, there, there's an encouragement and a sobering warning in this. Again, every warning comes from a loving God that when God's when his fullness of his holiness and the fullness of God's justice encounters a broken humanity, it's simultaneously good news and bad news. Think about it this way. You're on an airplane. Uh, news comes over the intercom that the engines have failed. You can, the horizon, which is supposed to be this way, is now this way. <laughs> and you realize this plane's going down. So someone scurries up the hallway, kicks open the door. Uh, this is well, not quite 
technical flight protocol, but just stick with me in our imagination. So you're, the, the plane is, is, is plummeting, and you're standing at the door, and someone says, okay, jump. Now, in that moment, <laughs> in that moment, jump. Get out of this plane. It's going down. The only way out is if you jump now. Is that word jump good news or bad news? Is that a word of your salvation or your destruction? Is that your rescue or your demise? Well, it all depends. Do you got your parachute on? <laughs> Is the question. Because that same command, you got to jump out of this plane. It's going down. That same command for someone who has their parachute on, that's their deliverance. That's their rescue. That's encouragement. That, that's, that's light. That's life. If someone doesn't have their parachute on, that same word, same command, you got to jump. you got to get out of this, plant, this plane. It's words of their destruction. It's words of their demise. It's their undoing. In a similar way, when we encounter a holy, just, and righteous God, he's coming again. Is that good news or bad news? It depends. You got your parachute on. That in a way, a just and holy God, if he exists, and if I exist, and I am sinful, broken, frail, depraved, if I'm going to encounter him, is that good news or bad news? It really depends. Because the message of the gospel is either, either I will bear the full justice of my sin on my shoulders, or I will let Christ do that on my behalf. Christ is coming again. God is coming again in a way that's neutral news, but it all depends on our relationship to him. And he's, Jesus is saying, this happened is the same thing in the days of Noah and the ark and, and Sodom and Gomorrah. And what he's saying in these two lists, did you catch them? Both accounts, Jesus says, verse 26, just as it was in their days, so will the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. Verse 28, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. <laughs> now, you might think, but are those bad things? I mean, I, I eat lunch, and I got married, and uh, some of you are in construction, and some of you have a garden. You know. So what, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying all those things are bad, eating and building and drinking and buying and selling, you know, pouring into your career, pouring into your family, pouring into... He's saying, is that bad? No, he's not saying those are inherently bad, but he is saying there is a way, if we go about this life trying to build our ultimate security in my kingdom or in your kingdom or in our kingdom instead of taking refuge in the security of God's kingdom, in that day, we will not have hope. Jesus is saying even good things, even good things, good things in other places of the Bible. He tells us, husbands, love your wives. He, he encourages, build, make families. He encourages us, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. He gives us a creation mandate. But what Jesus is saying here is that if even good things distract us from ever responding to the ultimate thing, then we've built all of our security in the wrong place. We've built all of our security in something that's not going to last. That's why he says in verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. He's saying you can gain the whole world. 
But until you've responded to me, until you've found refuge in my kingdom, you'll lose your soul. In eternity, think of eternity. What's our life? It's a blip, it's a speck in light of eternity. Is it wrong to, to pour into your career, to pour into your family, to pour into your home? No, it's not wrong. But my goodness, in the balance of the scales, do you see which is all the more, more important? To be deeply invested in, to be deeply mindful of, to, to position every single thing in our lives according to God's kingdom. Because we can gain the whole world. But if we miss the king, if we miss his kingdom... In this life, we could try to gain everything, but we will lose it. Verse 33, hope in the right thing, <laughs> that when you hope in Christ, his kingdom will last, that when you hope in him, we have a lasting and sure hope that can handle good times and bad times, and that will last forever. Don't miss the king. Don't miss your mission, but rather hope in the right thing, and dear Christian, even hope in hard times, even hope during hard things, even take hope when it's difficult, when there's suffering, when there's decay in the world, when you're discouraged, when you've got no wind in your sails, even then you can still have hope. Jesus gives us a parable to remind us of this. Chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't lose heart, Jesus is saying. And that's, that's encouraging to me because that means that Jesus was speaking to people who were prone to losing heart. And there's something really relatable in that, is there not? Jesus' disciples then were just like his disciples today. They're just like you and me. It's easy to lose heart. It's easy to look around what's happening in the world and seeing social decay and lose heart. It's easy in a moment of betrayal when you've experienced hurt by someone you care about or know or love. Or, uh, it's easy to lose heart in those moments. It's easy to lose heart uh, when life is hard or, or, or resources are, are strained. Stress is added. It's easy to lose heart. It's easy to lose heart. And in other times, maybe of physical suffering, chronic suffering, chronic pain, it's very easy to lose heart. It's easy to lose heart when, when you're looking either, either big picture of, 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 of things that are happening around the globe or very specific things perhaps are happening in your life. It's easy to lose heart. Maybe there's a very specific moment where something was wrong or you were, were wronged, and it seems like that wrong has yet to be brought to justice or yet to be satisfied or, or yet, to, yet to be completed. In those moments, it's easy to lose heart. So Jesus shares this parable. Verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. It's the opposite, if you will, of God's call. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strike. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here we have a judge, verse 2, neither feared God nor respected man. The anti-disciple, if you will. Then verse 3, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, it says that he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, a glimpse into his heart, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now we get a glimpse into this. this, Again, this is a parable. Jesus is unpacking a, a, a story to prove a point that's coming. In the scenario, we don't know everything about what has happened to this woman in this parable, but there's some kind of wrongdoing. She's experienced an injustice. She has an adversary, and she's coming to a judge, and only this judge can make right the wrong. But the character of of the judge is poisoned. He neither respects man nor cares about people. So the widow keeps coming. Day after day after day after day after day after day after day. Do you get the effect? (laughs) And the judge's heart is not changed. Her persistence didn't change his heart. It just simply wore him down. It forced his hand. That finally he said, ah, this this lady, I'm not giving her justice because I feel like I can or should or, or want to. It's just she's annoying. I just want this to stop. Fine, here. Be done with this thing. Watch what Jesus says next. See how this unpacks now. Verses 6 and 7. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Hear what he said, hear what happened. Verse 7. But see the contrast. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Now here's what Jesus is not saying. (laughs) He's not saying that judge has a poisoned heart and so do I. He's not saying that. He's not saying if you want to get my attention, you've got to be a squeaky wheel. Otherwise, I'm not going to attend to your matters. He's not saying that. He's not saying that he's stingy and slow to move to right wrongs. He's not saying that. What he is saying is even in this broken, twisted, fallen example of an unrighteous judge who finally uh, 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 extended justice, he's saying, I'm nothing like that. And the fact that that judge uh, uh, gave justice, how much more, how much more would a good and holy and pure and mighty and merciful and gracious and patient and, and righteous God, how much more certainty can you have that I will give justice? that I will see every wrong that has happened in this life, seen and unseen, global or or private, known just by you or known by hundreds of thousands. God is saying, if if my character is completely night and day from the character of this unrighteous judge, how much more confidence can you have that I will surely make right all that is wrong? And he even says it when when he asks the question, And will not God give justice to his elect? Now, in in the original language, this is said in a way that there is no stronger way that you could say it. Every tool of the Greek language is harnessed here to say in its strongest form, will not God certainly, absolutely, guaranteed to make right everything that has been made wrong? Everything that's wrong, everything that's broken, every horrific evil, God says, I will make it right in the end of time, in the final days, when he returns again. And that's an incredible hope, but some of you are hesitant to hold on to that hope. 
or hesitant to really grasp around that because you've still got questions, you're still wrestling. Perhaps uh, even with a couple of the words in these verses. Verse 7, look at this. Will he delay long over them? Now, the implied answer is no, absolutely he won't. It'll say in verse 8, speedily he will give justice. But some of you are asking the question, why are we talking about any measure of delay at all? Why isn't it, why won't God give justice instantly? Why is he even talking about waiting or delaying or coming quickly or slowly? Why, why isn't, why doesn't a holy and just and loving God act now, immediately? And thus, the famous problem of evil, right? The question, because you might look around and say, wait a second, but I see a, I'm seeing a whole bunch of wrongs that have yet to be made right. Why, why is God not acting now? And you might struggle through that and ask and wrestle with either one or two things. Either maybe God isn't loving and he doesn't want to or he's apathetic or he's busy with other stuff and maybe he doesn't really care about us as he says he does or maybe he's not powerful. Maybe he can't do it. Maybe he's trying but, but he just doesn't have the resources, the power, the influence. Maybe the battle between light and darkness is more of an even match than I thought and it leaves you in a problem, right? If God is loving... If God is just, then why evil, period? Why do I see any measure of decay or evil or wrongdoing? What Jesus is about to say next, and I'm going to walk us through that, in a way turns the question on its head. It changes the perspective of the question, that it shows us that the reality that there is a delay, that God is patient, is not proof that he's not loving it's not proof that he's not powerful. It's actually a confident proof of just how loving he truly is. So when we see evil and wrongdoing in this world, don't think maybe he's not as loving as I thought. Maybe not as powerful as I thought. Actually, start to think, see how much more loving than I ever dreamed and ever realized. See how more loving he is both to me and to my enemies. Look at verse 8. The question gets turned on its head. The perspective changes. Jesus says, I tell you, he will, he will, he will, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, when Jesus asks that question, the perspective changes. We often ask that question as humanity looking to divinity. God, if you say you're loving and powerful, then why evil? Jesus turns that question and looks from divinity to humanity. And the question gets asked in a different way. If, if we are, if I am, if I am sinful and rebellious, the question is not where is justice, the question is am I ready for it? Am I ready for justice? Because if, 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 if in the moment of my wrongdoing, if in the moment of any glimpse of evil, even the tiniest in my own heart, and I said, God, would you bring justice down now? Do you see what I'm doing? I call, I'm calling an airstrike on my own head. Now remember the gospel. Either I will bear God's, the full weight of God's justice on my shoulders, or Christ will bear it for me. And if that is true, if I cannot handle the holiness of God, if I cannot, I will be undone. The words of Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's falling apart in the presence of a holy God. The only way I can encounter and be welcomed in to God's presence is if I got my parachute on. 
is if I'm, if I'm in the boat. The only way I will be rescued and saved, do you see, I'm delivered from God's wrath by God's Son, from God's holiness by Christ's mercy. The only way I have salvation is taking refuge in Christ. It's like a rescue helicopter on the top of a burning building. People are climbing into it. And if you're in the helicopter, you're thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on. What are we waiting for? Let's go. You can see, you can see the smoke. You can, you can hear and feel the danger. Why, why is the pilot waiting? Let's get this helicopter moving. You know why he's waiting? Because he's wanting more people to hop on. He wants you to hop on. He wants others to hop on. He even wants your enemies to hop on. Why does he delay in his justice at all? It's not because he's not loving. It's because his love goes way deeper than you and I initially thought. He loves us enough to wait, to hold on launching from the helicopter pad. He loves your enemies, your enemies. He loves them enough to wait that they might have an opportunity to turn in repentance. We see uh, the book of Romans talks about it this way. Do you presume? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The fact that he's patient, the fact that he's waiting, is exactly because he's so loving. God's kingdom will come again. At that moment, the fullness of his justice and holiness will take everything that is wrong and make it right. That gives you a profound sense of hope. It doesn't make sense until you've been wronged. It doesn't make sense until you've seen firsthand one person wrong another person. In that moment, you know, you know, God has to be holy. He has to be just. He has to be a God of judgment because if he's not, then he's not loving for a judge to let a wrongdoing go unaddressed, it's not because he's merciful. It's because he's, he's, he's not acting on behalf of the wronged. Because God is just, because he is a God of judgment and he's coming again, that gives you hope for every wrongdoing that you've seen. It gives you a profound sense of hope. And if God is just, if he is a God of holiness and judgment, that also makes his followers merciful. Why? Let's say there wasn't a God of holiness and justice. Then, my friends, what is going to keep my heart from overreaching, making a wrong right, from overreaching on that to grabbing a pitchfork and a torch? What's going to keep my heart from poisoning to vengeance or bitterness? What's going to keep my heart from wanting to take a wrong right and go beyond that and just destroy, utterly destroy my enemy, my wrongdoer? Only a God of holiness, only a God of justice, because God says, I will make every wrong right. It gives us hope. It makes us merciful. And he's coming again. That gives us hope. That gives us hope in times of difficulty. It makes us humble that he's patient. Why? Because I'm very happy he waited for me. It makes us humble. And it makes us merciful toward our enemies because he's waiting for them. People that, insure you're not going to come. We wouldn't come out and blurt it out. We wouldn't come out and admit it, you know, just blindly in conversation. But my friends, there, there, is, there are people in your life that you would consider your enemies. Do you know that God loves them enough to wait? He wants them to turn. Every moment that we have in this life is an opportunity for people to turn to Christ. 
See his love in that. Don't miss the king. Don't miss your calling. Hope in the right thing. Hope during hard things. God's kingdom is coming again. Christ is coming again. And that gives us two things. Perspective. Perspective. And hope. As I was preparing this message, I was uniquely thinking about and praying about those of you with grandkids, or maybe even great-grandkids. Perhaps all that you've seen in your lifetime, you've had enough time on this earth to see uh, chapters and decades come and go. And for some of you, might be, you might be quietly wrestling in your heart and asking the question, is this really the world that I'm handing off to my grandkids? Is this really the world that I'm handing off to my children? And it will be very tempting to fall into despair or to fall into cynicism or to wonder, God, are you really still on your throne? I'm, it, this, is a, this is applicable to all of us, but I was particularly praying for it and thinking about those of you who got kids and grandkids wrestling with that question, my friends, take heart. Take heart. The king is on his throne. Just as he was faithful 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago, 400 years ago, 4,000 years ago, yet he will be faithful again today. You're not sending your kids and grandkids into the jaws of their demise. You're entrusting them to the gracious, powerful hands of God the king. He'll walk beside them. He'll help his church navigate through ups and downs, good times and hardship. And he will see us safely home. And to that end, my friends, may we have hope. May you have hope. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you comfort us with these things? And Lord, I know that I'm speaking to many who are facing all sorts of different kinds of hardship and difficulty. We resonate very deeply, Lord, with the groanings of all creation, longing for your second coming. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our full adoption as sons and daughters. Lord, between now and then, show us again just how faithful you are. Show us again that no matter how big the forces of darkness, you are bigger. No matter how overwhelming evil may seem, you will triumph in the end. And Father, between now and then, would you fuel us with that? Fuel us with your grace and mercy to love the captive soul, to rage against the captor, to partner in you, with you, Lord, in your redemptive and redeeming work. And through us, Lord, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.